Hello, I'm John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, and welcome to this week's Companies and Markets podcast. It's the first of 2015. Happy New Year to you all. I hope you all had a wonderful and refreshing Christmas break. Uh, unlike us, who were in the office producing uh, another issue halfway between uh, Christmas and the New Year, uh, and then of course getting our Tips of the Year issue ready. Um, that's out this Friday. We're going to be talking about that later, although we will not be giving away what the Tips of the Year actually are. Before I do that, I'd also like to welcome back to the office for uh, for another new year uh, my my uh, colleagues Julia Bradshaw, hello, Mark Robinson, hello John, and Graham Davis. Hi John. Uh, and we'll be talking about some of the uh, big stories this week. And uh, despite being early on in the year, we've already had some, some absolute corkers, uh, especially from the retail sector and uh, on the political front over in Europe. So before we kick off, Graham, let's uh, mm. let's have a talk about what's been going on on the markets this week. It was all looking pretty horrible before we uh, before we came back in the new year. Ha- mm. Have things improved at all? Uh, it's been great fun this week, John, to be honest. The first couple of days of the week, uh, the markets fell out of bed a little bit. They were off very sharply. You know, There was grim talk of, of oil price falling to $50, which it did. Which it has. Um, uh, and grim talk of, of global growth fears. Uh, and also there's this Greek election thing, which we're going to talk with Mark about, which was hanging over the markets. Uh, so things were looking pretty dire Monday and Tuesday, yeah, and then so something like two two percent on uh, Monday the market lost. Yeah, yeah, it was it was you know it was everyone came back to their desks in a pretty grim mood after New Year. I think was that just um, just because they're back at their desks after the New Year? Well, or, uh... it could be, it could be. And I know vol- you know volumes were pretty decent, so it was, it was this was proper selling. Mm. Um, mm. And then uh, Wednesday morning, you know what looked like further bad news, comfort, confirmation of deflation in the eurozone. Markets went, to, you know, markets started having a party, and they, you know, they've 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 just stormed ahead since then. They've pretty much made up everything they lost. Mm, well, that, that I mean, that that um, reminds me of something that Simon Thompson wrote mm. in our bumper issue uh, yeah. that we published uh, towards the end of last year. That uh, you know, Europe was not looking very pretty. Uh, deflation was on the way, but in fact, that's good news because mm. uh, because it opens the door for uh, for full blown QE. I think that's it. Everyone suddenly started betting on on Mario Draghi getting his uh, big bazooka out at the end of this month and uh, starting to buy sovereign debt. So if that happens, then then the, the expectation is that equity markets will 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 enjoy it indeed and that's something that uh, when we talk about greece we're going to talk about qe as well because obviously mm. the two things uh, are, are somewhat interlinked yeah um, mean, you know, mar- markets have gone you know the, when we walk came into the studio just now they were at 1.7 percent today they're helped by the supermarket i mean i'm just looking at the supermarkets uh, which julia is going to talk about tesco shares when we walked in here were 12 percent better off today on the back of uh, the restructuring plan, but Sainsbury's up eight percent. Morrison upset. Even Morrison's is up seven percent today, John. Mm, well, uh, I'm not sure how Tesco restructuring is going to help Morrison's, but there you go. <laughs> um, but sentiments turned. I think is the the the, the, the clear factor there. Has it, has it turned, or has it turned very briefly once again? Well. I mean, Maybe Julia could answer that question. Yeah, I mean, maybe, I mean, you know, one of the things that uh, sort of marked December was we had a very, very big sell-off in the middle of mm. December. And mm. then, you know, things things started to bounce back again. We've had a very big sell-off at the beginning yeah. of, of January. Things are bouncing back again. And, uh, you know, what, a couple of fund managers we spoke to at the end of last year for the review had said, you know, volatility is going to increase in 2015. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I must admit, I, I expect more of this flip-flopping uh, mm. risk-on, risk-off to happen throughout the year. Yeah, so. I think sentiment's sort of going to wax and wane very rapidly. Mm, uh, it's still very uncertain out there. Indeed. Um, well, on that note, let's let's turn to the uh, to the supermarkets. Hello, Julia. Hello, John. So let's talk about Tesco. Um, we've, I mean, you know, we we were waiting to see what drastic Dave uh, had to offer. We um, are we impressed? 
Are we twelve percent impressed? We're I, we're impressed by his. Well, impressed. We're we're happy that he's finally unveiled his closely guarded strategy. Um, but I think this twelve percent jump in the share price is more relief rather than anything else. Relief what? That he's done something. Or? Relief that he's done something. Relief that sales appeared to be improving. Although you know, after just a month in the job, can you really attribute that to Dave Lewis? I'm not so sure. I mean, Tesco still faces a huge amount of restructuring, has huge structural problems, and is working in an industry which is just completely um, um, saturated. I mean, there's huge overcapacity in the food retail sector. Uh, so this this 12% jump, I don't think, I personally wouldn't read read too much into it or get too worried because we're still fairly negative on Tesco and on the supermarket um, sector in general. Mm, so in terms of the restructuring, what's he laid out so far? Well, he's uh, laid out a number of um, a number of measures. Um, one of the big things is that Tesco is going to close its defined benefit pension scheme to new members. So that's one thing. They're going to close forty three stores. They actually still had a defined benefit scheme that was open to new members. They did, which is incredible. In deficit, might I add, they have a huge pension deficit. So mm. that's that's closing. And they've they've showed me. I spoke to them today, and they said it's going to it's not going to be wound up. It's going to be closed to new members. Is what's going to happen. Mm. Well, uh, that happened in many other companies a long time ago. Yeah, well, indeed, yeah. <laughs> finding finding a final salary pension scheme now with any company is like, you know, it's gold dust. Mm, it's very, yeah. very rare. Uh, anyway, and so, so closing unprofitable stores, um, they're going to cut back on central overhead costs, rationalize their um, head office into one space, um, lots of that kind of thing, changing changing working hours and and. And, and and I'm not really sure what they mean by changing flexible working or working hours, but maybe it means cutting down on costs. Sometimes I don't I don't know I, zero I, hours contracts perhaps. I, I once worked in a, in a in a company who uh, I won't uh, shame by naming them, and and, and uh, they uh, consolidated office space and cut overhead costs by removing people's desks, and they introduced the hot desking policy, which was very flexible, but it, it meant getting a desk in the morning was a uh, was a bit of a challenge sometimes. Well, so. that's not good for morale either. Not really. So not that's, really. That's not a good thing. But I mean, it it, it definitely needs to be done. Um, also, Tesco is selling um, some of its small companies that it's owned. So Blinkbox, this digital um, business, is being sold to TalkTalk, and um, it's looking at strategic options for the Dunhumby business. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. I think you have. Have I? Okay. Uh, and yeah, so you know those those are those are welcome things because Tesco was overstretched, and we have been saying that it needs to shed some of its businesses that aren't core, such as Harrison Hall coffee shops, maybe Giraffe. Um, whether or not it'll close some of its overseas businesses or go into more joint ventures in the same um, manner as it's done in China is, is anyone's guess. But that that could be that could be on the horizon. And finally, mm. the biggest thing was it's not going to pay a final dividend. So for all those for all those um, sort of income seeking investors and people who've been holding on to the shares for the dividend. Uh, that's one thing that might be a huge disappointment, but yeah. it was widely expected. We we sort of flagged that. Indeed, uh, Capita Asset Services, which is one of the the big registrars, said something of like this today. I think uh, they they noted that Tesco was the nineteenth largest dividend payer last year, paying paying out a billion in total. So yeah, big big hole there. Yeah, and so. that's I mean that's a that's a major that's a major thing for investors. So the fact that the shares jumped twelve percent on the news that they're going to cut their, or not going to pay a final dividend, I think is pretty extraordinary. Okay, so, so I mean, let's, let's look across the sector, because as, uh, as Graham mentioned, you know, uh, Morrison's has, has jumped too, presumably Sainsbury's uh, saw a nice little, little jump as well. Um, I read a comment somewhere else that suggested that, you know, 
all these these measures that Tesco is putting in place, you know, basically cutting back on, on, on CapEx, raising money by selling businesses, cutting the dividend, you know, this was going to give it ca- cash that it could basically invest in becoming competitive again and, and potentially cutting prices again. Right, That's not good doing. for the sector. Cutting prices? No. Well, no, of course it's not good for the sector, but it's something they have to do because mm. they're being completely hammered by discount retailers like Aldi and Lidl. And well, Nette has now come over. That's part of Sainsbury's and and Poundland and all these guys. So they they have to they have to cut their their costs and cut their prices in order to remain competitive. But it means cutting their margin and cutting their overall profitability, it and, and, and it rebases the whole industry's margin. It certainly does. And the, the expectation is that eventually Tesco's UK retail margin will be roughly around three point five percent, which is lower than the average over the past few years, which has been more around sort of four or five percent mark. Mm. Um, and some some suggest that I mean, that may prove somewhat optimistic as well. That might prove optimistic. Yes, we yeah. shall see. But it's something that clearly needs to happen, and I, I think you know all of that. All of the big food retailers now are cutting their prices, and I think that's just going to continue for the next few months, and we're just going to see an an intensification of the price war. Hmm. Um, The big question is, who will win out? Yes. Well, who knows? And I also wanted to add as well that um, some of the sort of headline-grabbing like-for-like sales figures uh, in Tesco's uh, results aren't necessarily as good as I think they're being made out to be. So if you you sort of dig deeper down, you can see that actually – the slight sales increase or the better than expected f- decline in like for like sales isn't necessarily as big of a victory as maybe some people are saying it is. I think there's long been suspicion over the way that the industry presents its right. figures. But so. that that will be in a big analysis piece in um, next week's okay. Investors Chronicle. Well, I look forward to that. Okay, um, another retailer who uh, who's an extremely popular uh, stock among uh, retail investors uh, also released some uh, some news today. Marks, Marks and Spencer, Spencer our favourites. How did they get on over Christmas? They didn't get on very well. Their food business was okay, but again, general merchandise fashion was down. So people obviously don't like what Mr. Bolland is doing. The clothing ranges have failed to attract shoppers. I mean, it, it just seems as if Marks and Spencer's can't turn itself around it can't actually attract back its core shoppers who, who are it's i mean this this has been you know an accusation leveled at marks and spencer is that it doesn't actually know who its core shoppers well, are anymore who are the core shoppers are they the sort of older generation are they young fashion conscious people are they people in their 20s and 30s who are sort of going to work every day it doesn't really know and the stores reflect that mm. i mean the stores are still shocking you go into a marks and spencer's you cannot for the life of you find something that you like that's in your size, which is just ridiculous. I went into an M&S before Christmas, and they have loads of really nice things in the window. They had a a Christmas jumper, which was particularly nice. I know you like your Christmas jumpers, I like my Christmas jumpers. (laughs) And they also had a, I think it was a dress, a gold dress. And I thought, wow, that would be a really nice party dress. So I went in, went to the females, finally found the dress. It was very difficult because, of course, the store's layouts are completely higgledy-piggledy. Found the dresses. Were there any in a size small, which is, you know, a pretty common size. No. Extra large, large, extra, extra large. Nothing in my size. Great. Went over to the jumpers, tried to find something in a medium. Was there a medium? No. Extra mm. large, extra, extra large. And these are clothes that they're advertising in their shop front. It, I mean, it's just, it's no wonder they did badly. They, they also, um, I mean, you know, Online retail is becoming increasingly important for, for everybody, whether it be clothing retail or electronics retail. And Marks and Spencer seemed to be failing on that front as well. They had a nightmare over Christmas. They as far did. As they had, well, I think they're, what's the, what's the figure? I think their online sales were down 6%. Is but, they, but I heard that they, they, 
they were not able to deliver well, to a lot of people who actually the, had placed orders quite some time in advance of Christmas. Well, the reason why the sales were so poor is just because of that, because their systems failed. <clears throat> and there were rumours that, that they were having warehousing problems and distribution problems, and they weren't actually able to deliver, as you said, and deliver in the right sizes. Um, and that was obviously the case. I think they denied the rumours at the time, but there was clearly... Mm. <laughs> and these are issues that, that MS has been tackling for, what, two years now? And it hasn't seemed to be able to have sorted it out. So... Yeah, not you know, not, not great. Good, we, uh, we 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 wrote on the company approaching two years ago now. It was a big cover story. One of one of the God. first things you wrote for us. Was uh, it two years ago? Uh, April two thousand thirteen, March two thousand thirteen. M and S untangled, and we we took a look back then to to assess you know what we thought the prospects were, and actually the share price has risen since then. Um, we were quite negative. Um, we there was a great quote. My one of my favourite ever quotes was in that article uh, from an analyst that you interviewed. Um, who described uh, Marks and Spencer's stores as a, as a sea of trousers, yeah. which I, I, I thought was wonderful. Uh, but we were quite negative then, um, yeah. and we haven't been improved entirely, right? But but you know, do you think we? I, it sounds to me like we're going to be vindicated ultimately with that and negative view here. I think we will be. I I mean, the the share price has been. It hasn't been. You know, it's been pretty reasonably volatile. But I mean, steady. I mean, it's it held above well, four quid and uh, yeah, quite some time. Yeah, kind of been going, kind of been bumbling along. But I think, you know, I think we still have a sell recommendation mm, on the shares. And we're going to keep that recommendation because, you know, the there's no sign of improvement so far. And, I, yeah, we'll remain sellers until we see that M&S is actually starting to turn the business around mm, properly. Mm. I mean, one of the first people to report, one of the first retailers to report that she was next. And, you know, just as a contrast, that was pretty strong. It was it was pretty strong. It was better than expected, but it it wasn't as strong as we're used to seeing from Next. And Next was actually saved by its directory business, its online business. So it just shows the, just shows the importance of online and getting getting yeah. that right. Like for like sales, in fact, at Next are thought to have fallen about three percent from so. the stores. In the stores. Right, okay. And then um, some smaller uh, retailers reported. Uh, Ted Baker, who we Ted like. Baker, they, we had do. A, they had a good uh, good Christmas. They had a great Christmas. Uh, they're doing well. I mean, it's a quality company and a quality business, and there wasn't much sign of discounting with Ted Baker. So, as usual, a dependable stock, highly rated, but, you know, dependable. So, and one, that's one, quite a tip. And we've got that on a buy. We have it on buy. It's a buy tip. There you go. Um, and other retailers include Boohoo, which did terribly. Uh, Halfords reported as well. Uh, there are a whole swathe of retailers that have reported, but it'll all be in uh, next week's IC. Okay. To, okay. To well, let's uh, let's talk about it next week. Yeah, and, uh, indeed. When, uh, when we can uh, round up the whole lot. Thank Great. you very much, Julia. Thank you. Okay, so I mean, let's uh, let's now turn to, to some more uh, some bigger picture issues, um, and obviously the, the the biggest issue uh, of the lot at the moment is what's going on uh, in Europe and uh, whether. Uh, full-blown quantum easing could be on the way, uh, whether the uh, political uh, problems in Greece are going to cause uh, turmoil throughout the markets more generally. And uh, Mark, you've been uh, you've been writing on this subject this week. Tell us what's going on. Uh, Kalimera, John. Uh, well, what's happened in Greece really is just... Uh, I'm not going to try and speak any Greek. It's, uh, well, it's a... Definitely, uh, uh, my pronunciation was, was shown to have major shortcomings last week. I'm not going to even attempt anything. Very well then. Well, what's happening in, in Greece at the moment is... Probably aware it's it's the the latest manifestation of uh, a failed single currency project. Really, um, in the, the a snap election has been called for the twenty fifth of January. Um, the left wing coalition Syriza has pulled ahead in the polls now on an anti austerity ticket, and basically they're promising or that they're going to try and either renegotiate their outstanding uh, debt with the ECB or to try and get uh, a measure of clemency. 
Of course, uh, that sounds straightforward enough, but um, they're, they're facing stiff opposition, uh, really, from uh, German politicians and the Bundesbank itself. Uh, the main uh, underlying reason there is that they're appear, um, afraid of moral hazard. You know, if Greece manages to renegotiate on favourable terms, then what's stopping the likes of uh, the Iberian economies or even a, a very large European economy like Italy following suit? Uh, it creates a whole load of problems, and, you know, I don't think anyone's really all that surprised to see uh, that this is blown up again. As I said before, the single currency uh, project in its present form isn't working. Uh, monetary policy for the likes of Germany, uh, or money, the requirements of monetary policy for the likes of Germany, uh, the Netherlands, uh, Austria, and perhaps even the UK, uh, are manifestly different from uh, the requirements for economies in uh, southern Europe. Um, and, of course, the uh, single currency in its present form with no full political union or a proper transfer system in place just isn't working. And we're likely to see this uh, uh, problem time and again, even if uh, this is this is resolved in, in the short term. So are we looking at a Grexit, as they call it? Uh, there's an outside chance. There's always an outside chance, and 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 you know, I, it would be pure speculation if I was to say one way or the other. Uh, one thing is true is that the polls indicate that the the majority of the uh, the Greek electorate is um, is a, rather less keen on that option uh, than the uh, left wing politicians. But uh, who's to say? I mean, you know, they, they've. Uh, I suspect what it will come down to again come down to again is a classic sort of uh, euro fudge in the end where both sides we able to sort of walk away uh, having saved face but it's certainly not inconceivable that uh, the ECB uh, if it was pushed hard enough could push back again and they have got that option of expelling uh, Greece from uh, uh, the, the banking system and of course what would that happen what would happen then Greece would be locked out of the transfer uh, system uh, pretty much automatically uh, there'd be a there'd be a run on the euro as well uh, across the continent. Uh, I mean the, the the ramifications are huge. That's why I tend to think that this will be resolved, albeit temporarily. Yeah, I mean that that seems to be a characteristics of uh, of uh, European politics uh, is that um, problems arise and are pushed down the a road little, a little, little bit, bit and then the they arise again. again. Yeah, and I mean, I mean surely, surely something more structural has to happen to prevent this kind of crisis rearing its head time and time well, again. Well, it, it does. And I mean, you know, the, the Federalists have got a point uh, insofar as that you, you're really not going to get into any sort of uh, economic coordination uh, th uh, throughout the currency block unless you have that political union as well and unless you have a direct uh, transfer uh, transfer transfer process as well and until that's in place you this is going to repeat time and again um and of course it, it, it plays into the hands of the federalists but it also plays into the hands of those who want to break up uh, the single currency block and also perhaps those who want to uh, destabilize the european union itself mm. um I mean, one of the uh, series, I mean, as Graham mentioned earlier, markets have actually started to, to recover quite sharply in the last couple of days um, on the basis that with, with deflation um, actually a reality in Europe now, uh, QA, QE, full-blown QE purchase of, of, of sovereign debt will be on the way. Um, does this issue in Greece... Put a put a put a you know a damper on that potentially. Uh, I don't think so. I think it's going to go ahead anyway. Just the the, the scale of it. I mean, the, the the main opposition there again has been from the Bundesbank, 
But uh, German economic uh, figures over the last, uh, published in the last 48 hours, uh, weren't that encouraging either. And at, at the moment, the, the ECB does have some capacity to buy up um, uh, types of debt securities in the market. But the only way that they're going to try and achieve, I think it's a total of you know, roughly one trillion euros uh, is is through sort of government issued bonds and so it would be almost inconceivable that they're not going to go down this road because obviously the deflationary risks once you get into that the the spiral is a very good word used to uh, describe it because uh, the remedy the the remedies uh, are nowhere in sight really I mean you know we might have reached the extent of uh, EU monetary policy here so unless you do get that sovereign bond a uh, program. Uh, I can't think of any other way. I mean, it's not like they, they can cut interest rates, is it? No. Well, and I guess you know when, when you talk about the extent of, of uh, ECB monetary policy, you know, the, is there not also a danger that uh, you know the 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 prospect of full blown QE is in the press? Of assets already across. Well, Europe. well, yes. Yeah. So just all you need is is the expectation that this is going to happen, and uh, you know perhaps um, uh, the response of equity markets has been uh, fairly muted, um, you know, as a consequence mm. as well. So I mean, we won't really know until we see the, the scope and also the time frame in, involved as well. I mean, if we look at the experience in uh, the United Kingdom and in the US as well, we, we can obviously expect to bounce in. Um, in equity markets and also um, some reaction on asset prices, general asset prices. Although then again, wage growth growth has been fairly muted uh, yeah. in both those economies as well. So, I mean, it just sort of uh, underlines how out of kilter these, these economies are with such high levels of debt. Uh, but back on that point as well, I mean, I mean the ECB... Uh, the ECB is also in a position where they're looking towards that Greek election because if... If if the Greeks were to sort of uh, renegotiate the terms of their bailout, a country like Italy would come along, and there is no way that the ECB would have actual funds uh, to 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 back uh, Italy if it was in the same boat as Greece. And so you might actually get the point where Italian uh, politicians, and the political system in Gre- in Italy is every bit as uh, febrile as it is in Greece as well. So, I mean, that is uh, that option doesn't bear thinking about, really. Indeed. Well, uh, thank you, Mark. It all sounds like a recipe for a very interesting 2015. Uh, yes, thank you, Mark. OK, so as you'll have already heard, this week is uh, our Tips of the Year special. Um, you'll be able to see what those eight tips are when you pick up the magazine for the newsagent this week or when it lands on your uh, your mat, when it arrives through the letterbox. Um, but we're not, we're not going to tell you what they are on this podcast, but we are going to welcome to the uh, to the studio Algie Hall, who's our tips editor. Hello, Algie. Hello. And Algie is going to talk us through how our tips did last year. Um, it's it's important, we think, to learn from, from where you, you, you went wrong or where you've done well and and, and uh, apply that to, to tip selection in the future. So I was just going to talk through some of the some of the themes, some of the trends that we saw last year. Um, and I think the best place to start is going to be the the tips of the week. Now we 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 tip four companies a week, and that means over the course of the year we've tipped two hundred companies. That sounds like an awful lot, and it is. Um, you know, we, we generally wouldn't encourage people to have many more than fifteen to twenty stocks in a portfolio. So two hundred tips is quite a lot, and. You know, the, the the theory is that the tendency of having so many tips is that you will simply revert to the to the market mean and become a tracker fund. Uh, but we haven't, have we, Algie? No, we haven't. And also, looking at these tips of the weeks, it, it's quite hard to really make sense of them because they come throughout the year. 
They're all made at different points regularly. So you've got about 50 different periods to look at. And the shortest period is a week, which is probably fairly meaningless. And the longest period is a year, which actually probably has some significance. So what we do, we break down the tips against their index and then we look at the outperformance. And this year, our outperformance, I mean, it, it's not monumental. It's 1.7%, but it's quite, it is quite hard actually to outperform from that many tips. And we've also managed to get near to 60% of the tips, the buy tips outperforming. So you've got a better than average hit rate, at least. I know, it should, you know, we could always do better. And also with our sell tips, we've also got about 60% of them outperforming, which means they've actually underperformed the market. But if we, um, what, what we've done is we've looked a bit deeper into what we've actually been tipping and where we've been doing well and doing badly. And um, I, I suppose the first thing is because we tip so many shares inevitably, we're going to get a lot of smaller company tips in with, what, with, with everything else. But for most people, smaller companies are probably a small proportion of a portfolio, probably a fairly large number of small holdings because they're inherently risky. Mm. And we've, we've heard on this podcast a number of times over the past, uh, past couple of months how, how bad um, the, the performance of small caps has been in, in 2014. And that, that's borne out in, in the analysis you've, uh, you've put together here, isn't it? Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's been, a, it's been a very hard year to tip also. We sh- I mean, we, we, we should you know, bear that in mind with um, the, all, all the performance reviews of, um, the, of 2014, because we've had quite a few swings in sentiment towards different types of stocks, different sectors. Obviously, um, one of the very marked um, things which happened at the end of the year was a massive sell-off um, on, in oil stocks, oil-related stocks, and especially the explorers. And there have been lots of um, small cap issuance in that area over recent years. So there are a lot of very vulnerable companies and some of them have been completely obliterated in share price terms. Anyway, fortunately, we've managed to get quite a few large cap tips, which um, I mean, that's been the place to be relatively in 2014. And we managed to get 37 percent of our share tips coming from um, the 250 or the 100. And um, we actually sadly slightly underperformed with the 250 tips, but we outperformed by a far bigger margin on the FTSE 100 tips. Hmm. Which quite, quite, quite counterintuitive that you would expect you know the FTSE 100 to be the place where you would find it most difficult to generate outperformance because they're so well covered well yes and I, I think I think often people look at those larger companies and think everything must be in the market you in know the there's price, no yeah. there's there, yeah, there's all priced in but actually if you're if 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 you're fairly rigorous about the way you look at valuation and the way you look at prospects there are opportunities which come up and um the market's very sentiment driven and what we see time and time again is that the consensus view of the market is wrong. And you've got to basically just try and, you know, try and be a bit clever about how you look at stocks and valuations. And you can find really good value opportunities amongst the larger companies as well as the smaller companies. And in fact, the smaller companies, because they're not so well covered and because they're more vulnerable, they can produce some really nasty shocks on the downside. Mm. And I think actually going through our tips of the week, analysis where we've done worst in terms of our buy tips in fact the only area we've underperformed in terms of our buy tip is is our speculative share tips and so these are shares where we don't really know everything about a company we don't feel that certain about its prospects but we can see opportunity Mm. 
and we think it's opportunity worth going for. Or also they may have risky end markets, things like that. And anyway, the, that's that's where most of the underperformance came from. Or sorry, all of the underperformance came from from um, in terms of a breakdown of this tips of the week by tip type. Mm. And we, we I mean, we do highlight every week, we, we highlight what sort of a tip it is. And, and we highlight where we think something is speculative in nature. And, 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 you know, implicitly, we are suggesting that people don't go all in in these these companies. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're, when, when we say something's high risk and speculative, we're essentially saying... Not for widows and orphans. Exactly. Basically. Not for widows and orphans. And don't, you know, put all your money into this one. So, so I, mean, I think generally then, you know, you'd look across the, 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 uh, the sort of large company tips, large, you know, we've done pretty well here in, in the tips of the week, yeah, taking we, the speculative underperformance out. Yeah, no, I mean, I think if you take that out, then, then, um, then, then we've had probably quite an impressive year. And I mean, also, we're, we're coming off the back of 2013 was incredibly good. The average outperformance in that year was 9.1%, whereas this year it's 1.7%. 1, 1. So um, clearly, in terms of last year, we, we haven't done well at all. But I mean, it's still, we're still outperforming in the speculative tips. It's been very hard for, and that's, that's where a lot of the damage has been done. Mm. I, I think also one thing that I want us as a team to learn from the review that we've done on, in 2014, 2014 as a year, is that um, probably we should be selling quite a few um, shares sooner than we are because some of the losses we, we've been taking on um, at, at, the, at the bottom end of the table, of um, which you can see if you go online and look at tables of buy and sell tips for the year, at the bottom end, some, some of the losses have been really painful. So we haven't cut the losers quickly enough? We haven't cu- I feel we haven't cut the losers quickly enough. Right. And um, hope, I'm hoping to put in a few extra systems which we can use this year just to make sure that when shares are falling, a real red light goes off and um, the the tip, the person behind the tip, the writer, needs to really justify keeping with that stock rather than advising readers to sell it. Because okay. often when share prices start to go south, they carry on going yeah. in that direction. Well, it seems like a good lesson to learn. And and it's probably a good, uh, a good segue into our tips of the year 2014 review because we had a big underperformer there that really dragged down the performance of the whole, the whole selection. Unfortunately so, John, yes. We had Zambief, which um, has, has become a kind of curse word in the office probably. <laughs> so Zambief was a company, um, well, it's, it's an African agricultural company, and it warned in in late March in 2014, and there was a potential to escape at that point with a 25% uh, loss in total return terms. So that means um, in terms of share price performance plus a dividend, which is um, how we analyse the tips of the year. However, we decided things would come good for Zambief. Its main problem at the time was, um, I mean, it had quite a few problems, to be fair, but... Um, the main issue was currency. It, um, it was it was selling um, uh, in the local currency, and its main in most of its costs were in dollars, mm. or still are in dollars. Oil, fertilizer, etc. Ex- exactly. So I mean, this. So what happened with the currency was hideous for profits. But um, we basically took the view that in March, that in late March, uh, that things would probably come good over the year or get better. And actually, they have. Um, but in, in terms of learning to cut your losses, this is a prime example of why you should. Because even though we've had a real improvement in the situation for Zambief, and the company's also looking at selling assets, which could unlock um, significant value if its balance sheets to be relied upon. 
then um, it's still carried on falling. And the shares have ended up showing a 65% negative total return. Ouch. Yeah, it's really something we shouldn't be having in Mm. the portfolio of tips of the year or any any portfolio. We should be cutting out those kind of losses earlier. Okay, so so what we're saying is that, um, you know, Zambief, you know, it's it's not, going bust it's still around it's looking like it's turned a corner in terms of the, you know these problems that it's had but sentiment has really not turned unfortunately sentiment hasn't turned. i think there's been a kind of grinding realization about the dynamics that the company faces and that they're not going away in the long term they're just there it just may be a good year or a bad year mm. and also you've got a big holder which is in um invesco which has been um, selling down its holdings. So um, they've still got around 10%, I think, from, from memory. memory. But um, they, they've obviously added to that selling pressure. Mm. So, I mean, that's been a real hit for the portfolio. Because um, so let's, I mean, let's ignore Zambief. Let's pretend it never happened. The rest of the portfolio has been great. <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> the rest of the portfolio has done the, fantastically The rest of well. the portfolio has been, I, I, think, I think we can say it's been pretty good. I, what, what we've got is we've got a, if, if the rest of the portfolio um, altogether. Although, although, sorry, I, I'm gonna, sorry, I must interject. It's not a portfolio. We don't treat it as a portfolio. We, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's equal weighted um buys basically and, eight equal weighted and, it, and each year we have eight different categories it's not how you would really put a portfolio together so no no it's you know. i mean it's a it's a portfolio of tips yes i think is what indeed call it. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah the the, the the other seven stocks between the managed total return of 12 and a half percent which um against the market which was managed a total return this is the all share managed a total return of 1.3 percent is pretty good. Mm. And also to put it into context, I had a look at um, all the UK all company investment funds on Trustnet and um, our seven tips, which um, would, be, would have been the second best, also oh, the third best performing out against those funds. And um, the, the two funds which beat the tips were both run by Mark Slater, who seems to have had an extremely good year. He obviously didn't buy, didn't buy Zambief. <laughs> I don't think he held Zambief. Or if he did, he held it in a very small quantity mm, <laughs> in his portfolio. No, absolutely. Never mind. And Zambief. maybe sold it early. <laughs> okay, so so was that enough for us to beat the market for the sixth, no, seventh time in the past eight years? So even with Zambief, did we beat the market? We beat the market, yes. We, um, we put in a total return. If you um factoring in the spreads, which is obviously important when you have a few small caps yep. in there, we, um, and costs? Do we factor costs in, or we uh, we we fa- uh, factored in costs in doing the cumulative total return. So we've got a two point seven percent total return, including spreads, against one point three percent from the market. Okay. Um, and where I've looked at a cumulative total return, um, which which is on the three year and the five year um, performance, uh, I've factored in 1% for costs. So if, if we look at the three years, so the past three tips of the year sessions, we're looking at a 69.9% total return without the costs. And then when you put in a 1% charge, it's 65.6% over three years against uh, 35.8% for the market. And over five years, we're looking at, if you put in the cost, 62.1% versus 47.6%. And those five years, unfortunately, they start with a bad year, which is 2010, 
when we actually underperformed. That was the last time we underperformed. Mm, we haven't we haven't underperformed for a long, long time. Because it, it was it um, tw- two thousand and ten, and then two thousand five was um, the year prior to that that we underperformed. Yeah, so, my, um, my table only goes back to two thousand and seven. So yeah. <laughs> the two thousand and five. <laughs> so yeah, not bad, and we've done it again. So yeah, there so, is still so something to be said d- for stock picking. Well, yeah, hopefully it, 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 our, our results would suggest so, but um, also there's something definitely to be definitely to be said for cutting your losses early in a losing situation. I think because we mm. could have done a whole lot better had we done that. Okay, what, so what was the best uh, the best performing tip? Last so year? the best performing tip, um, it was it was going to be almost all year. It was um, a Danish drug company called Novo Nordisk, um, but there's been a weakening of the Danish um, currency, and also the oil price falling benefited another one of our tips called Win Canton, a logistics company. And um, when Canton's actually a reason why you sometimes want to hold, hold risk, because we were fairly confident at the outset of 2014 about the outlook for the UK economy, which is very um, influential on Win Canton's business. But in addition to having just its normal business, it also has a large pension deficit and a lot of debt. And when times are going well, those kind of negative factors actually play to a company's advantage because people are far more willing to overlook them. And what's more, the company begins to sort out these problems by paying off the debt and it's easier to get to grips with the pension problems. And all, all that's kind of broadly pay, played out over the years. So um, when Canton ended, um, ended up with, a, um, I think it's around 26% um it delivered for the portfolio on a to- total return basis. And that... that, that... Makes sense. When Canton was our value pick, it was our, yeah, our value, our value pick. pick yes, and actually, that right. that, if I'm not mistaken, tallies with what's performed well in in terms of the tips of the week because uh, uh, value did, did pretty well. Income, yeah, did pretty well as well. No, normally, we regard income really as a subset of value. A subset so, um, of value indeed. So yeah, both, both yeah, value and income did did do well. Although um, also. Low peg stocks did well, so that's a low price right. to earnings growth ratio yes. stocks, um, which um, looks for cheap growth essentially is the main thing it looks for. So um, I think if you're buying growth at the right price um, during the year, you you did well from that also. Mm. Interesting, the international pick did well, uh, the overseas tip of the year, yes. um, because I know there is a reluctance among some of our readers to buy overseas shares for reasons of currency risk or problems with withholding tax on dividends, for example. But, you know, we, we do occasionally pick them. They tend to do quite well. We certainly have a very large pool to choose from when we, we start to broaden our horizons. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, also with this tip of the year, what what you're getting with Novo Nordisk is um, something which is quite hard to access through UK stocks. So mm. it's um, really quite a specialist drug company because it, uh, it caters for... Um, the insulin market, and um, which is related to the obesity epidemic, as I think people term it, of a lot of people getting fatter and um, starting to suffer from diabetes. So, and you'd be hard pressed to find such a pure play anywhere else, except mm. for in this company, which um, which isn't listed here. So, um, I mean, it's it's a good advert for you know why we're interested in international shares in yeah. general. And I mean, just going off on a bit of a tangent on the on the theme of international shares, over the you know last couple of years we've we've picked companies like Apple that's hard to, to yeah. replicate in, in, in terms of the UK market. There's nothing quite like it in the UK. We've gone for some of the car manufacturers in Europe, which have done very well. Yeah. Um, and there aren't any listed car manufacturers in the UK. So well oh I think we're gonna persist with international 
shares. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I there, hope. there's there's definitely um always always good grounds to look at overseas, especially if you're looking for something which isn't read, readily available in the UK. And a lot of these niche uh, sectors are underrepresented in the UK. Mm, absolutely. So um, we're not going to tell you what the eight tips for 2015 are, but but um, hopefully we can give you a little bit of flavour. And you know, th- perhaps there's some lessons we've learned from 2014 that, that we've actually used to guide our tip selection for, for, for the year we're in now. Uh, I hope there are some lessons <laughs> we've learned because... Um, we are we are sticking with we've got at least two uh, shares which I'd say are quite risky in our in our selection, but um, at the same time I don't think they embody the same kind of um, risks that Zambief did, I, and I could be proved wrong. Uh, but but also we're playing it fairly safe. Some of the big themes which have emerged, when we're looking to stay away from such as the fall in the oil price, we're not. Um, looking to really make any big, bold bets on where that's going. Seems sensible. <laughs> I don't think I'd sleep easy if we had no, any no, bets on quite. that with the tips of the year. We've, we've also got it got quite a UK-centric um, flavour to the portfolio, I suppose you'd say, given that the UK is such an international market. There's one company which is moving its business very much back towards the UK and two companies which are purely UK. We've also got we've got quite a bit of exposure to the US in terms of um, where these some of the London listed companies are actually operating and earning the bulk of their profits. Probably one of the most contrarian bets we've got in the portfolio actually should benefit from um, increased volatility and um, in, especially increased currency volatility. That's one of our smaller company picks. That's the smaller company yeah. pick, yes. Um, and um, I mean, I, that, I, the the business itself is. Um, it's in a situation where there doesn't seem to be very much hope for it producing growth. But um, we, we think that it actually could this year because of the changes in the wider market. So um, that's probably the one which is most exposed to a very current theme. Um, and then as well as that, we've um, we've got a bit of exposure to the euro and the eurozone, which... Um, probably could be seen as highly contrarian at the moment. However, we do feel that there's probably going to have to be some fairly decisive action to um, look after the situation that's developing there with Mm. fears of deflation and um, also just the currency weakness, which has already occurred. We think that's pricing in a lot of the action, the kind of quantitative easing type action, which is likely to put pressure on the currency. So um, maybe the further downside in terms of euro isn't as great as people are supposing. And especially over a year, we can see things um, playing out possibly better than people are currently expecting in the Eurozone. But I mean, behind that Eurozone exposure is a share tip, obviously, a company that we have faith in, which is Mm. the most important thing with our tips. Fundamentals. Fundamentals, yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's hope that in a year's time, when uh, when we're talking about how well the 2015 picks have done, you'll, you'll prove right. Thank you very much, Algie. Thank you. So on that note, let me talk you through what else we've got in this week's magazine, um, as well as the, uh, the eight tips of the year and uh, the fun tips um, that I mentioned earlier. 
Um, we've got uh, John Barron's latest investment trust portfolio, and he's talking about why he's still very keen on China. Um, there's some great stuff in the uh, personal finance section, uh, another uh, reader portfolio, um, and, and a plan as to how you can actually increase your wealth by 200k uh, over a, a reasonably short time frame, and some tools to help you manage your portfolio. Um, we've got uh, a nice sector focus uh, on renewable energy. It's, it's quite a complicated subject, but uh, one of our newer writers, Emma Powell, has, uh, has really done a great job. Uh, in getting to grips with that um, and uh, unfortunately not many results but uh, it's that time of year so uh, thank you very much uh, magazine as usual available uh, on uh, iTunes Google and uh, in all good news agents uh, see you next week bye bye